You're listening to Better Than Yesterday, a podcast that will inspire the chase to your best self. My name is Angelo Kelly, and I'm a creator who escaped the traditional nine to five. On the show, you'll hear conversations with elite athletes, mindset coaches, and everyday people who talk about their personal journey to a life of passion. I appreciate you guys being here. Now let's get rolling. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Better Than Yesterday. Happy Monday. Happy to have you here today. I'm fired up to release this episode. My guest today is Annie Mayfield, the author of Be Your Own Hero. On this episode, we got all into her book. We got where she gets her drive and motivation from, how to overcome fear, and everything in between. So without further ado, here is Annie Mayfield. All right, Annie, we are live. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we were just talking about uh, your book. So I just finished that, Be Your Own Hero. What? Uh, let's just start there. Like, What made you want to write that book? And for people listening, you're 22 years old right now. You published this when you were 20. So, so it's like crazy to think about that. You might think when you hear a book, you're like, oh, that she's an older person or, or been experienced. So, so what made you want to write that? Totally. Such an awesome question. And you hit on a few things that I just think you hit the nail on the head there for the reasons why I wrote the book in the first place. First being, you know, and we touched on this a little bit when we chat before, but I just sophomore year of college fell in love with personal development. I mean, to the point where I just, I had struggled with anxiety so much my entire life. And I was at a point in my life where things just weren't, weren't shaped up to where I thought I'd I thought they were going to be, you know, I was playing, you know, sports in college, everything on the surface looked like it was great, but I just had just that anxious stomach all the time. And I read my first self-development book ever. It was, um, it was your badass by Jen Shinshiro. So good. Any seriously, you guys go read that book. It's so wonderful, but I read it and there was so much power in just this idea of, you are this wonderful work in progress and anything you're struggling with, you know, it's not fixed. It's done. It's, it's something that you can grow and continue to work on. Like our mindsets and our heart sets and who we are as people, it's malleable. You know, it's like we can grow and change as we continue to learn and educate ourselves and challenge ourselves. And I think, you know, they say common um, sense isn't always common practice. I knew that working on yourself, you know, that was an ongoing project, but I don't think I'd really accepted that fact. And I'd never actually taken the time to read a personal development book. I'd never taken the time to be like, what are, what are my weaknesses? What do I need to work on? Something so powerful about it. And from there, I read a hundred over a hundred self-development books from that book that I read sophomore year to the start of my junior year of college. I just fell in love with just educating myself, hearing people's stories. And that summer before junior year of college, I read Rachel Hollis's book, um, Girl, Wash Your Face. And in that, I just, 
I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had this, Angelo, where you just connect with someone. You almost feel like you're reading someone with the same kind of style you talk in. And I'm like, you know what? If, if this girl can do it, I can do it too. And I also noticed, you know, there are no books written by people my age. There's no voice from someone of my generation. And I think that's a problem. I think that's a huge problem because you know, it's one thing to read a book written by someone who has kids and is married, but as a college student, I could still apply the lessons they were telling me, but I, I craved a voice from someone that was struggling with grades or school or sorority stuff, sports, you know, things that were more relatable to me. So I be your own hero um, within, gosh, I think it took me about five months. And then process took a little while longer. And yeah, it came out when I was 20, summer before my senior year of college. And ever since, I mean, my next one's about to come out. And then I'm almost done with my third writing it. And I just, I love it. I tell people I get so much more out of these books than the people reading them. Because for me, writing it is therapy. Because it comes, it brings to surface all of the things, the lessons I'm giving. I have to look at myself and look at my own life and write about, you know, where I struggle with this too. Or give an example of where I didn't do the exact thing that is the lesson in the chapter or whatever it is. So ever since, I mean, you know, I've really started working on my personal development. I just fell in love. And I think that it's something you don't have to be super experienced to dive into. Anyone with the passion to better themselves can, they have the choice to make that change now. And I think, you know, as a, as a 20 year old, I didn't understand why people were afraid to go for their dreams, even if they were young. Who says you have to be 60 plus years old to do something that you deem you need more experience for? You know what I mean? Like you are the, as Oprah says, captain of your fate. Why not choose to do something about it now? Yeah, that's perfect. And I think a lot of people, like when I started out, um, I can't think like when I read my first self-development book or when I first started working on myself, but I started reading all these books and I didn't take any action. Like, like you said, you read a hundred books. And so where do you think there was like a shift where it was, I'm just reading and reading and reading and grabbing these different books and I love them to let me actually do something about this? Was there a specific book or a specific time where you're like, okay, now I should actually apply this stuff. Yeah, that is such an awesome question because because you're so right. The power doesn't lie in reading it. I mean, the power lies in doing about the thing you're reading about. You know, you so many people go to conferences, I guess virtual conferences now, or they read books and, and nothing in their life changes, nothing in their business or relationships change. And that's such a great question because the power lies in the action. And for me, I think the moment that, I really committed to actually acting on the very things in the book that it was challenged or the books that I read that were challenging me to pursue was I had a big enough why, you know, if you have your why, you and I think for me, I was so the anxiety I was experiencing, it cost me so much pain. The pain of that was more than the pain of challenging myself to do the things that it was in the books they were telling me to do and not to say like growing yourself is hard it sucks I mean you know you're an amazing weightlifter you know like when you 
gym and you work out and you're getting stronger, it doesn't feel good. Like you, a lot of times probably feel like you're dying or you know what I mean? Like something's wrong. It's hard. It's challenging. But for you, the pain of not doing it is greater than the pain you experience while you are doing it. And when I got to that point where I was like, you know what? My unhappiness from the anxiety I'm feeling is greater than my discomfort to challenge myself to do the very things these books are telling me to do. You know, like literally say affirmations in the mirror, go challenge yourself to have those hard conversations with people that you need to, whatever it is. The discomfort of doing those things was less than the discomfort of the pain I was in from my anxiety. So if you can get to that point where your why is so deep and it's so it's just so ingrained in who you are, you will have your how. You will take action because you just get to that point, your breaking point where you're like, I can't live my life this way anymore. Like I can't keep repeating these same patterns. I can't keep getting in these sucky relationships. I can't keep treating myself like crap. You gotta hit your rock bottom. Unfortunately, I feel like so where you're really like, okay, let's do this. Does that make yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think everybody gets to that point. And now with like a, a health crisis going on, I think a lot of people realize that with like just diet wise, I'm thinking right now, where there's a certain point that you have to make a change. And it might not be after you might have something, you know, you get sick, your your throat hurts for a couple of days, and then you're fine. But, and then two years later, you have something wrong with your gallbladder, you have a heart attack or something. And it's like that first point, you could have made a change, but it didn't take until that, the serious thing to actually, when you're like, okay, now I need to do something. So it's good that you found that at 20 years old, you know, a lot of people might, might never find that, or they might find it at 40 or, you know, people just wake up one day and are unhappy but when you've identified it that early on, I think that's that's just a testament to the person you are and the success that you'll have later in life because you were able to to start doing the things. Totally. And something you said just I completely agree with. You know, it's just when you said like the fact that you've identified that at your age, I think all of us are capable. I'm not, I'm not special. I'm not like genetically modified. Like the only thing I did was I made myself aware. I think so many people in college, they're so afraid of that side of themselves. They don't, they don't want to face the side of themselves. That's anxious. They don't want to face the side of themselves. That's depressed. They don't want to face that, that part of them. So they try to numb it out with, with drinking and parties and, and sex or whatever it is, they try to numb it out. And I mean, not everyone, I'm not generalizing, but I feel like a majority of people, they're so focused on the fact that these are supposed to be the best four years of your life that anything that doesn't live up to that expectation, they try to numb it out instead of trying to learn from it. I think our emotions are these incredible teachers. I mean, what you're feeling is teaching you about yourself. But instead of facing them, we try to numb them out because we're uncomfortable with whatever it is we're And so I just, I think that, I hope that encourages people to understand you can become aware of yourself at any age. It doesn't have to take this crisis moment to be like, okay, I need to make a change. You know what I mean? Like, gosh, darn it. My sophomore year, when I decided to pursue self-development, I 
it was at a low point, but I've had way lower points in my life since then. And it was by no means my breaking point, but it was enough to encourage me to just become aware. But you can become aware at any stage in your life with wherever you are, whether you're high or you're low. You can choose to say, okay, whatever my emotions are telling me, whatever part of me I'm uncomfortable with, I'm not numbing it out. I'm going to turn into it and I'm going to try to learn more about myself because of that. And that awareness is the first step to developing yourself to the next level. Yeah, that's perfect. And just like, as I'm kind of thinking about the podcast, like for me, better than yesterday is it's one day. It's, were you better today than you were yesterday? And we're, we're not saying you have to read a book a day and you have to get off your ass and run 10 miles tomorrow. Like, it's just about, did you do that one extra thing? Did you uh, write down three things you're grateful for? Or did you eat vegetables instead of eating a pizza? And it's like that awareness piece is, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be transformation. You see a lot of these self-development and books and articles have these catchy titles, 60 days to lose 60 pounds, or, you know, it's just like, there's a big transformation that's usually involved, but a lot of times it's like this small work that you do on a daily basis is what's going to get you the biggest results. Could not have said it better myself, Angela. That was so perfectly articulated. And for me, those books with those titles, like 60 days to the best version of yourself or, you know, like one week and you're down to your high school weight or whatever it is. I just feel that sex sets back the personal development industry by a hundred years. I really do. I think it sets people up for failure because what happens is they take these huge strides for seven days and then they either don't see the result or they get the result, but what they're doing every day is not sustainable. If you're not a runner and you go start running 10 miles in the morning, you're not going to be running that a year from now. You're not. You'll maybe make it five days. You might make it one day. Yeah, right? you're probably going to make it one day and that's it. Maybe, maybe make it one day, right? But, but that's, unfortunately, as crazy as that sounds to say it out loud, that's how people view everything in regards to personal development or getting healthy or whatever it is. They have to make these gigantic leaps of action and you don't. That's why New Year's resolutions always fail. 80% of people do not keep them because they make these insane goals for themselves that are not sustainable. And then when they don't achieve them, they say like, oh, well, getting healthy, I was just not made to be fit. I wasn't, I wasn't made to be into personal development. I wasn't, no, you were, you were, but you just didn't set yourself up for success because you made these gigantic marathon leaps within five days and failed no one. I mean, you've got to take little bites at a time and working on yourself is just, it's this never ending project. I feel like people, they always have an end in mind. Like I, I wish, I wish it was like, okay, in three months, I'm going to be the best version of myself. I'm good. I wish, you know, it's funny before I read You're a Badass by Jen Chinchero, I was like, this book is going to change my life and I will be good to go. And when I realized the more that I read, the more I didn't know, the more I had to develop myself. And it's an ongoing project. And just like you said, you've got to take it little bites at a time. You don't have to cut out carbs for the rest of your life. Maybe just incorporate one salad for lunch instead of a burger for both lunch and dinner. 
You know what I mean? It's, it's little bite-sized pieces. The key is to find something for you that's sustainable, you know, find something for you. They always say like, or something that I like to say to people, cause I coach people workouts and nutrition is like, you know, they ask, what's the best workout for me? And I always say, it's the one that you're going to keep doing. Because at the end of the day, it's the truth. You can go work out for two hours one morning, but I would rather you work out for 30 minutes each day for consistently. You know what I mean? Um, so you hit it nail on the head. Bite-sized pieces, absolutely. So what's, what's like the process of writing a book? You decide, you decide that you want to write the self-development book do you do some research first or are you just sitting down at your computer and you're like, I'm just going to write? Like, how did that work? Oh, that's such a good question because I wish I had an answer for you. <laughs> so the, but the, here's, here's my process. And um, for me, this is just Annie Mayfield's process. I know a bunch of writers I've talked to, they do things way differently. And that's, that's all cool. Like my dad's writing a book right now and he does his process way differently than mine. Um, but I definitely do a, I mean, a lot of research. I, so every morning I work out, I work out twice a day, but one of those workouts, I listen to a self-development podcast or a sermon thing every morning. I just think, you know, it fills my cup, sets me up for the day with the right mindset. And so from there, I could consider that my research. Like I'm not sitting there taking notes. It's something that I absorb that inspires I hear other people's stories. I take little bits of information from it. And then honestly, for each of like how my books, you just read Be Your Own Hero. But like for my next book, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Each chapter is a different idea. It's a different, like for my next book, it's called Dear Beautiful Me. And each chapter is just this idea. It's written for women, but it's something that like society tells us is not okay, but it's okay. And each chapter is almost like this lie. I feel like we accept as the truth. That is just absolutely not the truth. And so what I do is I get an idea in my head. For example, with Be Your Own Hero, you know, one of them was, uh, gosh, Be Your Own Joy right? So for Be Your Own Joy, I just thought like, yeah, this would be a good, this would be a good chapter that I'd like to talk about. And then for about a week, I just, I think of the examples in my own life I want to include in this. I think there's something really powerful in reading books where the author includes examples about their own life in the book. I've read a lot of books that are kind of more textbook-like, you know, there's no personal example. It's very much like, this is what you need to do, X, Y, Z. A lot of them had the title, you know, 60 days to the best mindset, whatever. I like and connect more to books that the author shares personal experiences. Because I'm like, okay, this person's real. I mean, for I just, I'm going to say her name a ton because I love her. But with Rachel Hollis, you know, the first thing she wrote about was I peed my pants last week. And it's funny, but it makes her a real person. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you know, if, if she can write a book and she peed her pants last week and she's a grown woman, so can I. And other women who don't have the dream to write a book, they're like, I can achieve my dream too. I think it makes the author more real and relatable. And that's the point. Like re relatability is credibility and you want to be credible in your writing. So I really start with that. Like I just take it chapter by chapter, bit by bit, add, you know, think about personal experiences. I think about the lesson that I want to kind of ingratiate in those personal experiences. 
And then through that, I always tie it up with some type of, like in Be Your Own Hero, it was like the key takeaways at the end of the chapter. With this next one, it's going to be words of affirmation that have to do with the chapter theme. Um, but I mean, and it's, it's like a week-long process per each chapter. And then of course I go back and edit it like a bajillion times, but that's really, I mean, I'm also a freak. If you looked at my phone, I text myself ideas. So like, I'm always the first conversation in my phone with like, I just text myself all the time. So when I get an idea, I'm usually working out, you know, your creativity is just incredible. When you work out, you get so many ideas flowing and I'll always get one when I'm like on a stair stepper and I'll pull out my phone and just, text myself all these ideas and then literally just go back to the document and when I get help. So that's kind of, it's not really a process, but it works for me. I think everyone like you, the way that you've done it, people, anyone can do it. It's not like there's not some miracle formula and just (laughs) anything that I'm trying to do. I'll just sit down, write it down in the notes. And it's, I'm not trying to write a book, but when I write, when I read yours, I'm like, oh, I could could probably do this. And, but a lot of times when people actually sit down and think about it and it's like, I'm holding your book. (laughs) So you're the one who actually did it, which is, which is so cool. And I think a lot of people, like we talked about with that action, it's just so hard to, you might think that you can do it better than somebody, but are you actually going to do it? That's the the hard part is sitting down and actually doing the work. And I think it, the other good point that you brought up is like personal experience. I think you shared a bunch of stories about yourself that, that I'm sure were hard to like, were you scared to, to put this down and, and know that anyone can read it? Is that something that you were afraid of? Oh my God, Angelo, I was terrified. I was I mean, the night before my book came out, I literally was just like, I had my own copy. So I had my first edition copy sent before and I was just holding it and I was looking in it and I was looking at all the things in it. And I was like, my grandma's going to know what's in here. Like my dad's going to know what's in here. And it, it was so scary, but there was also something so liberating about the fact that I was showing up as exactly who I was with, without apologizing. I was putting stories in there that made me me. And the reality of it was, you know, at the end of the day, I just decided the message that I felt God was trying to send this world through me was more important than other people's opinion of me for trying to send it. And there's gonna be, you know, of course, like people judge you, Things I put in there, like they probably, they might have offended people or whatever, but, but they're my story. They make me me and you can judge it, but you're not me. And someone out there, and I know just from people reading it and messaging me, et cetera, the stories I did share, the very ones I was terrified of my grandma or my dad reading or whatever, they were the exact thing some girl needed to hear or some guy needed to hear. And to me, that makes it good enough. Like to me, that that means more to me than my fear hurt me of wondering what other people were going to think of me for writing those things. Um, but it is, it's scary. It's, and we talked about this last week, but you know, you got to do it scared. It doesn't matter if you're scared. What matters is do you do it anyways? You're always going to have fear. 
I mean, if you study anyone that, you know, not even like personal development related, but Kobe Bryant, um, just insane athletes, Serena Williams, whoever it is, they're terrified. They're nervous. They get scared, but they do anyways. They show up anyways. I think a lot of people, they experience fear and they run the other direction because they think it's an indication they're going the wrong way. I want to challenge people to think that whatever it is you're afraid of, that's exactly where you've got to go. Because that's your key to unlocking the next level version of yourself. And through, you know, writing the things that I wrote, it freaked me out. I wrote them. I wrote them with shaken fingers because I was like, I'm going to delete this later. And then I never did. I mean, literally, I remember thinking like, for example, you know, I put in this book that I lost my virginity in high school and my dad was going to read that. I mean, come on. Come on, I wrote that with shaking fingers, but I also knew that someone out there to hear that because, you know, I'm a girl of, and like, I have a lot of faith and like, I follow the Christian faith and I still, that still happened. And like, I feel like people need to hear that, need to hear that message. And if you show up pretending to be someone you're not and trying to sugarcoat all the things that happened in your life, you're not going to attract the people that you need to, to make an impact in this world with. You're just not. And so I made a commitment to myself. It was like, you know what? I'm terrified. I, I genuinely am terrified to write this right now, but I, that there's someone out there that needs to hear it. And my humiliation, my fear is not as big as their need to be impacted and to be touched. And you just, you just got to get to that. They're just like, I'm terrified, but I'm doing it anyways. It is easy though to just, you know, let's just delete this little part or let's, let's leave this one off Instagram. I think we, we all have that in us when you're, you know, you're typing a caption or you want to share something and you kind of stop yourself and you're like, well, I don't have to share that. (laughs) But, but that's awesome that, that you've been able to do that. And I think a lot of people, when they're doing creative stuff, they fear the judgment, they fear the haters. And I've talked about this a bunch of times. Like if you're getting started, one, not a lot of people know who you are. So like you might have a thousand followers on Instagram, whatever, but not many people are going to watch your content. So that's like, that's almost permission in itself. Cause when I'm doing like YouTube videos, I'll be like, I'll I'll try to make everything perfect. And I'm doing 37 takes on something. And then I'm like, eight people might watch this. And then eventually 15 people might watch it, and then 30 and then 60. And then so like it compounds on itself, but it's like you have to tell yourself whatever it takes to get through that scared part. So for you, it's going to help somebody else. It's going to help another girl who's going through this. That helped you out. Or for me, it might just be not that many people are going to listen to this. And, and I think just finding that in yourself is something that's so important to, to push past that fear. Totally. Totally. And, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before, but everybody starts with an audience of zero, everybody. I mean, from whoever on Instagram is like the hottest speaker or fitness or whatever, they started with an audience of zero too. And I think, you know, you get to the point where you, how you show up when you're just beginning 
is going to be an indication of how you continue to forge on when you have an audience of thousands and thousands of people. Like these are the seeds that are being planted right now that are going to grow into a harvest later. And I think a lot of people, you know, when they don't have a massive following, people are watching your videos, it's really easy them for to say like, well, what's the point? What's the point? Why am I even doing this? And they stop because no one's watching. But I think that if people could just understand you're building your foundation right here, right now, you're building your foundation. And one of my favorite preachers of all time, Stephen Furtick, just, you know, he started his church, had eight people in it, eight people. It now has like 40 or like over a hundred thousand, 40,000 in person. But he's part like preacher of a mega church. But he said, he was like, you know, when I was preaching to eight people, I didn't know this many people were going to be watching me, but I still preached with every single bit of my heart, even if it was just for eight people. And that's what differentiates the successful people from the people who stop halfway through that never get to see what their success is supposed to look like because they get discouraged by their audience. And I wish people understand like, and I know this might contradict myself because I just said like, I do it for other people, but, but I, I don't do it for my audience. Like when I make videos or motivational or whatever, like a lot, it's for me. First and foremost, it's for me. It makes me a better person. If no one read my book ever, I would still keep writing. Not because, I mean, if I, because if I based it on my audience, I would stop. But the reality of it is it makes me a better person. It challenges me. It, it makes me feel like I'm living into the person I'm supposed to be. So that's why I keep going. And that's why when I started small, when I had 50 followers on Instagram, I kept going. I still was this energetic and loud and was this passionate when I had 50 followers to where I'm at now. It didn't matter. Because for me, of course, I want to serve people, but the first thing that was in the forefront of my mind was this makes me a better person. So I don't care who watches. I'm going to keep going. And I do feel like I'm serving the world in some way with this. So I'm going to keep going. And that's what differentiates, I think, the, the people that make it versus the ones that stop halfway. Because the ones that make it understand it's not about the size of your audience. It's about the size of the passion in your heart for doing what you do. Yeah. I mean, I can't I can't say anything, you know, better than that. Where did, where'd you get all this motivation from? Like, were you always this person? Um, I mean, you're a weightlifter. Sports, like athletics in high school really shaped me to where I am. But I really, I've listened to at least one motivational sermon or video, some type of compilation every single day for almost four years now. I mean, I just... It's like food for my soul. It really is. I have not started my morning any other way in almost four years. Um, and when I say like, I listen, I, I type in on YouTube, like there's, there's something called Motiversity. There's Motivation Hub. I mean, there's, I just type in as Brown, um, Stephen Burdick, Rachel Hollis, Tony Robbins. And I just, I eat it up. I really do. And um I also, I mean, you probably know this with everything that you do, but you just, you feel that little thing in your heart. That's just like, this was what I was meant to do. I feel so in my element right now. And um, Steve Harvey says, you know, your gift is the thing that you do the best with the least amount of effort possible. Not that it isn't hard and it's not challenging, but you do it the very best with the least amount of resistance and effort possible. 
that is your gift. And for me, when I'm writing, when I'm speaking, I feel that. And I'm, I know you do too, because you do what you do so well. But I feel like when you get into your element where you're like, this is where I was, what I was meant to serve this world with, it also fills me up at the same time. It, you just, it's, it's effortless. You just do it without even thinking. Yeah, it's those things that you would do when you don't have an audience, even if no one was reading your book. Like, it's that thing that you would write or that thing, that podcast that you would put out. And I think everyone has that somewhere in here, in their heart, in their brain. But it's the people action. You have to take action. Like, if you guys are listening to this and you read all the books, you do all the right things, if you don't make changes, nothing's going to happen. And I, I can only say this from experience because I've been that person. I've been the person reading about these books, reading these, listening to the podcast about you can live the life that you want to live. And I'm at a desk and I fucking hate my life every single day. I I'm going somewhere where I know that I'm not meant to be. So I just, I feel like I'm getting chills from this conversation. And, and last week, actually, um, my girlfriend was, she was working at the kitchen table and she wrote me a sticky note. She was like, make sure she knows you're not recording because this, this conversation was too good. Like you have to tone it down, but, but yeah, just connecting with people like you, I think has been, has been something. It's been that thing for me, like to, to extract what you have. And, and if I can take one thing from you, it's going to make me better. And Mm -hmm. the people listening, it's going to make them a little bit better. So so you told me that you went to, you actually went to 11 different publishers. So this, what it, it wasn't like you, you wrote the book and people were lining up to, to get it done. So what made you, what was like the challenges with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, man, you know, you, you write a book and you're like, I'm a badass. And then you go and you submit it and you're like, well, crap. Why did I just waste all that time and energy doing that? Um, no, but that definitely was a thought that I had. Was like, this is really freaking. This is not what you know, little Annie who dreamed of writing a book thought it was going to be like. You know, I thought you wrote it, and then you know, rainbows and sunshine, everything worked out great. You're on the New York Times bestselling list. Honestly, like that sounds so egotistical, but that's what I thought writing that book. And but it was one of the greatest lessons I learned because it really made me ask myself, why am I doing this? What is my purpose? Is it to be seen? Is it to be recognized? Or is it to fulfill this little seed of purpose I felt like was on my heart? Which goes back into our audience question. Are you willing to do it when you have an audience of zero? I think a lot of people are afraid to take the step, not because they're afraid to start small, but because they're afraid to be starting small. And you got to do an ego check. You've got to do an ego check. Is the thing that's preventing you from living into the very thing you were created for the fact that you don't want other people seeing you starting from nothing, starting from an audience of zero. That was something I had to ask myself because I was like, well, shoot, all these people knew I wrote a book because I put it on my Instagram, I made it public. And now I was like, it's not going to get published. Crap. And it it was just this, this battle of what is my intention behind this? What is driving this? And I had to get really real. And I was like, you know what? I asked myself this question. What's the worst that could happen? 
what is the very worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is that this, this book does not get published. No one reads it. How would that make me feel? Okay, well, it'd make me feel like shit. Why? Why would that make me feel that way? Well, because I genuinely feel like there's a message in here that's meant to touch somebody. Okay, great. I had to get real with whether or not my intention was, like I said, to be seen and recognized or to serve. And when you can shift your mindset from I'm here to serve other people instead of I'm here to be seen by other people, you will allow your ego to be checked enough that you actually can serve other people. So for me, the only reason I kept submitting to publishers, I mean, by publisher five, I was, I was like, I'm out. This sucks. I mean, it should, you know what I mean? I was like, this is, this is a load of crap. But I kept going because I was like, someone needs to read this. Someone needs to read this. If I had just based writing a book off of whether or not people were going to love me for writing it, were going to praise me for writing it, I would have stopped at publisher two probably because I was being told it wasn't good. I was being told the very thing that like I was so afraid of happening, being rejected was happening. And if that was my reason, I would have stopped. But I had to get really real with myself. Why am I doing this? And because you know what, even if it changes one person's life, that's good enough for me. That kept me going to continue getting rejected by publishers until eventually it got accepted. But I think you just got to get to the point where you've got to ask yourself, what is driving this? What is driving this? Is it my ego? Anyone that's built anything that's lasted, that's great, a business, an organization, a reputation, they started probably with a lot of people hating on them, saying they couldn't do it, but what pulled them through was nothing to do with their ego, because that's not good enough. That's not strong enough to pull you through. It's got to be your urge to serve other people. And I think, you know, for anyone that wants to go after a dream, anyone that has a little inkling on their heart and inclination towards something, check your ego. Potentially the reason that you're not going after it this very second is because you're afraid of being seen starting small. But I want people to hear that everyone started small. So why on earth would you think you should be any different? Everybody started small. So yeah. Yeah. And your book too, like if you would have stopped at publisher one, kind of everything you wrote wouldn't have been true. You know, like your message is when you're going through hardships, when you're getting rejected, you have to keep going. So it, it's good that you identified that, that it's like, okay, I can ask somebody else. I don't, okay. This publisher said, no, who's the next one? Where's the next one? Where's the next one? So so what's it like when you actually get the book? Are you analyzing every single page like, oh, I wish I didn't say that? Or are you like proofreading it a million times? What, uh, what actually happened with that? <sighs> you know, Aaron Hello, honest and truly, I have not read through it. That's, that's so good to hear. I, I, and, it's, and it's the same thing with my podcast. I don't listen to my own podcast. I don't. Um, and, and like, not to say it's a bad thing that people do, but just for me personally, I'm like, okay, I guess the only answer I really need from myself is, did I do my very best? Did I give everything that I had to give when I recorded that podcast? Did, is there anything else that I could have given to that recording when I finished? 
writing a book, you know, it's like, is there anything else I could have put into this, could have poured into this? And I have my answer to that without rereading it. I have my that without having to listen back through my podcast. I think if anything, the only reason I would listen back to my own podcast or reread my own work is, is for egotistical reasons. It's to analyze like, okay, yeah, this was really great. Ah, uh, crap. I shouldn't have said that. Like, it's just to either rub my own ego or it's to, in a way, like sabotage myself thinking that like, crap, you're not a good writer or whatever it is. The only answer I need is, did I do my very best? And I have without rereading my work. Um, and so, you know, it's like, I remember what I wrote. Like I told you earlier, I, I mean, I got my first edition copy. I knew exactly what was in that book. I was like, oh God, I remember it, but I do not reread it because I, anything I could possibly want to know, I already have the answer to that I need. Yeah. That's smart too, because I think you can, you can overanalyze. I think a lot of people everything that they're getting started on, they're like, oh, should I have changed this word? Should I have done this different? And it turned out exactly how it was supposed to turn out. And you said, you said when we talked earlier, there was definitely some things that you would change and that, but that's all a part of your process. You wouldn't, you wouldn't write the second book if you were still looking at the first one and being like, oh, I should have changed this word here on page 72. This, this didn't sound right. The sentence didn't turn out how I wanted to. So I think you have to put everything you have into it. And then it's like, next thing, next task. Totally, totally. And, and like with the editing process now, you best believe I was in that book. I was changing things. Like I reread it through the editing process. So it wasn't like I just wrote the first draft and was like, all right, peace out, <laughs> did my best. Oh my God, no. But that final product, it's like everything in I know it was my best. I redid it the best that I could. Um, I took, you know, exactly what I felt like I needed to say. I put it in the way that I felt I needed to say it. And I feel like, you know, I have all that I need to know with that. And um, so that being said, I just, from that point, I don't, I don't reread the final product once it's like in my hands because I've, I've already read it. I've done my very best. And I'm a ruminator. I ruminate on things. And so if I get something in my mind that I feel like I didn't do well, it stays with me. And it makes you fixate so much. You know, they always say like, you see your flaws that no one else even notices. And I know myself. And if I go into that book, that final product, and I find something, I will, I will ruminate on it like no one's business. And that will prevent me from appreciating the work. So I spend most of my energy in the editing process, going through, changing things, getting suggestions, you know, tweaking things. But that final product, when it's in my hands, I do not reread it. Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's just, it's too much. So I'm thinking you have the motivation, you wake up every day at four o'clock, you run, you're on fire all day. What do you do? when it's seven o'clock and, and it's time to watch Netflix or it's time to eat some chocolate. Like what's your, what's your wind down routine or do you just keep going all the time? No, 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 no. You've got to, you can only push yourself as hard as you recover. And I think people, people don't understand that. People always are like, you never stop. You And I'm like, Oh my God, you don't see me at night. Like for me, I am not a night grinder. 
a lot of people are night owls. They, you know, I know writers that it hits 11 o'clock at night and they're like, oh, it's time to write the next chapter. Lord, no. I am in bed by 9.30. Sleep by 9.30. Let me, I am asleep by 9.30. I, um, I love Netflix. Like I love, for me, I love to, so my days I time block. So I'm very, I, to the half hour of my days between my nine to five, my nutrition business, my books, my podcast, everything, my half hours are planned. Um, but then seven o'clock is really my marker where I'm like, okay, you're done. I, if someone tries to contact me and they need me to get on the phone or sorry, I mean, and that sounds selfish, but the reality of this, I know that if I don't fill my own cup up, I can't show up to pour into and so seven o'clock on that's my time that is my time so I am you know I'm taking a shower I'm making dinner I just finished on Netflix it's hilarious great show um and I'm actually watching the social dilemma right now which is a documentary I don't know if you've seen it but it's crazy (laughs) it's it's a horror movie oh my god it's a horror movie um I'm like oh should I watch this um but seven o'clock on that's that's my time and then i i get in bed around nine i'm asleep by 9 30 and any like any emails any anything i do not look at it past seven o'clock and then i get up in the morning it starts again but you can you know this with your weightlifting. i mean nutrition sleep stretching that is half of the equation because you can't push yourself in that gym if you don't take care of yourself outside of it the same way with how you push yourself every single day in your work and your relationships you need to make sure your cup is full so seven on that's my time yeah that's good i don't think that's selfish at all i think that's uh it almost would be selfish if you did stuff around the clock because you're not going to show up as your best self i think a lot of people when they start they first start their own business or they start a project and they're super motivated and it's like i work 16 hours today and it's like were you productive for 16 hours? Probably not. And, and tomorrow, did you spend all day watching Netflix because you're burnout? So I think that's good to have, to have a practice like that. I I'm the same way where I'm good in the morning, but at night I have nothing (laughs) after, after, after I eat dinner, usually we, we take a walk and, and we're just talking and watching a show. Like I think that time's so important. Oh my God. It's so important. And you just brought up such a great point about, you know, being busy is not always equal being productive and people, uh, Brendan Burchard has an amazing analogy. He says a lot of people are like an octopus on rollerblades. There's a lot of commotion, but not a lot of progress. And I feel like a lot of times people quantify how hard they're working based off of the time put in instead of the effort put in. I get a crap ton like a crap ton of stuff done in my day, but I still like eight hours. I'm working eight hours and it's because I know how to time block. And when I'm, when I'm working, I'm not on social media. When I'm working, I am like focused as can be. I'm not having a conversation on the side. I'm, I'm getting whatever it is done. So something that, you know, probably takes most people two hours. I can do in 30 minutes because I'm not distracted. Anyone can do that. You've just got to check yourself. Like, am I being distracted right now? And just like you said, I feel like people, you know, they work 16 hour days and they think they've gotten all this stuff done, but most of that time was spent on Facebook or most of that time was spent talking to their coworker, getting 
coffee in the lunchroom, whatever it is. And if you can just set aside time to fill your cup up, it will allow you to be more productive in the time you set a time or set aside to go, to be focused because you've got to have both. And it's finding the right things that you like to do. So if you're doing stuff that you don't enjoy, that's when you're going to be spending time on Instagram or, or doing other stuff, having this conversation. Cause you're like, I don't really care about this anyway, but if you're engulfed in something that you're super passionate about, that's when you're going to be, you're going to be all in locked in and everything. Yes. And just having at least like I, every single day have at least one thing I can look forward to. And it's not like a huge thing. Like most nights it's, I just got this new pumpkin spice candle and I'm so excited to just get in bed and light my pumpkin spice candle. But like that thing that it, it keeps me sustained for the day. Cause it's almost like my little, it's my little reward. It's like, okay, I crushed it today. Let me light this candle and not respond to any emails for the rest <laughs> of the night. But, but I feel like people, they just live their days not having anything to get excited about. And you, even if it's the smallest thing, like maybe you, you're going to set aside time to a date night or you're going to have a certain meal for dinner, whatever it is, like one little thing a day to keep you excited, I truly believe it'll change your life. It'll just make you show up better that day. Yeah, totally. Well, Annie, this has been awesome. Where can people uh, find you on social? Where can people find your books? Ah, so books are anywhere where books are sold. So Target, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, my Instagram is Annie B Mayfield. And so they can find me there. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like uh, I'm on fire after this one. I got to like go do a workout now or, or just start <laughs> start another project. So thank you for this. Oh this my really gosh, fun. you're awesome. Thank you so much for asking me. This has been such an amazing conversation. And that's a wrap for this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. That was a really fun conversation with Annie. If you want to pick up her book, that will be linked up in the description. And then she's also releasing that second one. So I will share that on my social media when she gets that one done, you can follow her on Instagram at Annie B. Mayfield. Also, that will be linked up in the description. Make sure to tag both of us if you like this episode. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story. So tag her at Annie B. Mayfield. Tag me at Better Than Yesterday Pod. And if you guys enjoyed this one, if you wouldn't mind leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes, both those things would help me out so much. They help grow the show and help me get out to new people. So I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate you this week, and I look forward to dropping another episode on Wednesday. Take care.